today and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. But today I would like to introduce you to Carolyn Deloyd, who is doing a PhD in Geography under the supervision of Dr. Warren Maybe. Welcome to Grad Chat, Carolyn. Thank you for having me. Now, if this sounds a little hissy at times, don't worry everyone it's because we are doing this interview via Skype because Carolyn doesn't live in Kingston so this is our next way of of getting these interviews done so please bear with us at any stage it goes a little bit funny but we will try and make it as as peaceful and as nice as possible for you so before we talk about your research topic Carolyn I noticed you did your master's here in urban and regional planning a while ago actually but how did you find that and is that has that actually helped you with your current work I mean what was the background there for you actually coming back to do some study yes I graduated from the Queen's School of Urban and Regional Planning back in 1992 and so that was uh, a while ago yes (laughs) I shouldn't say it like that should I (laughs) (laughs) in fact it was uh, we were celebrating the 150th anniversary of Queens at that time and Prince Charles and Princess Diana came to the Kingston campus and a lottery was held and I won one of the tickets to be able to see them oh I'm so jealous so at Grand Hall. And so I have very special memories in uh, of Queens and of Kingston. And after graduating with my master's, I've been employed as a professional planner uh, all along. And so right. when I when I thought I would like to come back and, and study some more geography and planning, Queens was my only choice and the only place I applied to do my PhD. And I definitely wanted to come back to Kingston and to Queens. And the amalgamated department now of geography and planning yes. is wonderful because I was in planning and now I'm actually back in the same department now that it's geography and planning together. And people like Joanne Tinlin are still yes. there from when I was there. And- oh, is that right? I'm going to have to have a go at her on that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my master's supervisor, Hawk Lin Lung, is also still there, and I see him, and he gives me advice still, and uh, and it's wonderful. It, it's it's just I couldn't see myself anywhere else but at Queens and in Kingston, and the city itself, and the school, and the, all of the facilities. Everything has grown a bit since I've been there, but I still feel so welcome and so supported, and and so lucky to be part of the Queens community. That's fantastic. So I know what you've been doing since you did your master's and now is actually one of the reasons why you wanted to come back and study. So I'm just going to let everyone know your research topic is quantifying ecosystem services to enhance the use of natural heritage systems to respond to climate change. So before we go into any question, can you give us a, a bit of an overview of what that all means and why this topic? Yes. First, the topic, natural heritage systems, is an approach to planning. And of course, I since I have been a professional planner since graduating from Queen's, I wanted to choose a PhD topic that I was already familiar with and was able to dive deeper into and right. to, to be able to study. And natural heritage systems is the natural areas on the landscape, things like woodlands and wetlands and watercourses that exist on the landscape. And to look at them as a system means they are 
were joined by corridors and they could be corridors that you could see like a vegetated area or they could Mm -hmm. be a wide open field. But the idea is that all of our natural areas on the landscape are working together as a system and they, they provide ecosystem services, things like carbon sequestration or flood attenuation, natural habitat for wildlife. There are a variety of goods and services that come from these natural areas and that's what I'm studying and that's what I'm trying to look into in more detail. The reason I'm looking at natural heritage systems in particular, as senior environmental planner, I worked in the region of Halton right, and, and put in place their first natural heritage system. And so I'm using that as a case study to look at the identification, delineation, and protection of natural heritage systems, and then to identify and put a value to those ecosystem services that come from the natural heritage system so that Halton region would be able to understand how this natural system is benefiting the residents of Halton and beyond, in fact, right. in terms of providing fresh water and habitat and a right. whole variety of services. And in fact, there's cultural services and spiritual values and, and other values, recreational values, all associated with these natural areas. And so not only are we identifying what those services are, we're putting a value to them in terms of dollars so that yep. some people who come to the table like to talk about these natural systems in terms of values. So that's what we're looking at. The whole natural heritage system, those natural areas connected as a system, and the goods, the services that come from those, and then how municipalities can all address climate change through the use of our natural areas. So the the municipalities would know there is great savings to be had by using our natural areas as one of the tools in their toolbox to deal with climate change. And when I say deal with climate change, I'm looking more at the development of policies, planning policies that can go in an official plan that deal with our natural areas and ensure that these areas stay on the landscape in perpetuity. And what we hope in the end is that we can have a tool that all municipalities, not just Halton, Halton's my case study, because that's where I had been working. But we want to use this tool across Ontario and and elsewhere to help shine a light on the importance of our natural features and how they can help municipalities respond to these various scenarios that come with climate change. So the climate change to a side, I mean, I guess it's also going to help municipalities to give good reasoning behind stopping developers going crazy. Is that going to be part part of it as well? If you're talking about policy, I mean, a lot of the times they need facts to be able to prove to these developers, no, you can't build an 18-storey apartment block in this particular area, da-da-da-da-da-da. Is that part of it or is that totally a separate? No, that there is that is part of it, especially in Halton and in the greater Toronto and Hamilton area. We're facing a lot of development pressure as that's one of the fastest-growing municipalities right. in all of Canada is Milton. And Milton is located in the region of Halton, where my case study is. Okay. And it's vital that these areas remain on the landscape in the face of development pressure because once they're lost there's no way you can get them them back exactly if you if you plow something over and decide to build there you can't have the people move and then try and regenerate that into a natural area so Mm -hmm. what's important is that we identify those areas up front as part of the process of growing the municipality but ensuring that growth is directed to an appropriate place and that our natural areas can work together with the residents and in fact these benefits these goods and services are ultimately for the long-term benefit of the residents of Ontario and of 
end of Halton. Um, they're good for the environment, they're, but they're also good for the residents as well. So it's very important that as development proceeds and as municipalities change from a natural area to a built form, that natural areas are identified, delineated, protected, not just for the feature themselves, which has a huge value in itself, but also for the services that they're providing and for the goods that come from them and how they can help municipalities actually deal with these pressures of right. growth mm-hmm. and climate change because it, there, there are uh, significant pressures that come to the environment when you have more people in an intense growth area right. where you have you know a lot of, of streets and built form you can get a, an urban heat island you can have changes in temperature you can have you know various flooding problems when you have too many paved surfaces right so All of those things can cost the municipality in the end, in terms of flooding and in terms of energy costs. So if the municipalities and developers and others, residents, citizen scientists, if we can all work together to help identify how we can manage and and optimize the use of our natural heritage systems, as we grow forward, that's what my research is trying to find out. And so I bring, as I say, 25 years of planning yes. to the table. And I've, I've worked on uh, various official plan documents. I've led the Ajax Integrated Ecological Review as well uh, in the town of Ajax. So I've, I'm, I have always worked as part of a team of scientists and ecologists and others. And together, we've been able to, to, to start putting some of these ideas into practice. But what I wanted to do when I came to Queen's was to get right into it and and so now working with Dr. Maybe I'm able to use the Halton Natural Heritage System as a case study we've looked at various other places in Ontario that have identified their ecosystem services from natural areas things like the Greenbelt exist and the Niagara Escarpment those actually both go through Halton region and there's places like the Oak Ridges Moraine, which provides all kinds of fresh water for residents in in the greater Toronto area. So we've got lots of, you know, a growth pressure there too and and Halton and Kingston even are on Lake Ontario which is a source of fresh water for mm-hmm. many people and we've got to be able to maintain that that source of fresh water through the use of our natural heritage system and other means in order that people can continue to live along that belt of along uh, Lake Ontario so that's why I've, I've enjoyed being able to do this because I feel it's important that everyone municipalities and residents and everyone be able to help contribute to that crisis that is climate change at the moment that every little bit helps like this is a very small tool that that I that I'm trying to work on and develop along with many many other people who are trying to solve the climate change crisis but I feel as a planner this is what I could bring is perhaps some policies built on the natural heritage system that could help address climate change along with all the other actions that municipalities and other scientists and other uh, PhD people are doing all across Canada really and, and at Queen's in order to try and address that, that crisis as, of climate change. I feel it's very pressing. That was why I wanted to come back and try and put my planning to, to use in order to, to help so, try and do something because that is very important to me. Yeah. Uh, the other reason I wanted to, to, to come back and do a PhD
ADHD as well is I just find the ability to be able to research and contact people and talk talk to to other academics and other scientists and residents and other students. I find that fascinating. It's one of the best times I've had, you know, all along. <laughs> we and, can learn so much from each other. Yeah, and uh, the, we all work together in a lab in the Renewable Energy uh, mm-hmm. Development and Implementation Lab, the Ready Red Eye Lab that right. we have down at Macquarie, and uh, we all work as a team. And we, we work with Dr. Maybe, and he guides us, um, you know, towards all of us towards the the goals that we're trying to achieve. And we're all proceeding along, and we encourage each other. And there's a lot of camaraderie down in the lab. In fact, down in the all of the geography department, we we try to get together and have a few social activities too. And and it's been a, a wonderful department to be part of. But um, also with part of my research, I have a whole segment of social science research. I've done a, a survey across Halton region to find out what people think of, of using natural areas to address climate change, right. to find out what they know about natural heritage systems, and to find out what they think of ecosystem services and expanding the NHS to include the explicit delineation and, and identification of ecosystem services. And I'm finding out some really interesting things. And I've had over 120 responses That's to brilliant. my survey. And I've done 20 in-depth interviews as well um, with various stakeholders in natural heritage system planning. And I, um, the, the information I'm finding out is fascinating, which is all going to lead to uh, to the, my dissertation having lots of good information. It'll have maps and it'll have the re- results of the survey and it'll have the, the results of the interviews. And then we're actually going to hold a workshop in Halton and Great. vet the findings there with the residents in Halton and to see what they think of how we're moving forward and then then being able to ensure that we've had you know a, a cross section of participants in this research project it's interesting i mean i know you're bringing the climate change part into it but sometimes that can put people's backs up for whatever reason <laughs> and particularly politicians because at times they're trying to do more than what they're really capable of doing i i, I hasten to say but i remember when i was in living in new zealand there was a community there that looked at the ecosystem of the area and they're looking at planning and so this is where your your planning degree and things come in but we're looking at how can with the ecosystem fit with urban development and one of the areas they had they had a wetland area which they wanted to preserve and the way they sold it to the community and even to the police to be perfectly honest was that instead of having a great big sewerage plant they actually worked out that they could use the wetlands with the reeds and everything with this with the sewage and in fact, that actually filtered the water just as well as some of these big chemical sewage plants. So it was a natural way of filtering water from sewage. And so they were able to maintain the wetlands for the for the community, for the bird life, for everything else that lived off those wetlands and also made it help look after the sewage system. Are you looking at things, could you potentially look at something like that here in Canada or, or do you know of other communities that have done similar things where they've used the natural ecosystem, which is what we're all about trying to preserve to have a, another function other than just keeping it there. Exactly. That is one of the functions, one of the ecosystem services that comes from wetlands is water filtration. Right. So absolutely, that amount of water that gets filtra- uh, filtered through the wetland, there is a, that's the service that it provides. And then actually knowing what the dollar value of that is too, gives you a variety of sources of information about why that wetlands important. Mm-hmm. Also, you mentioned there's rare plants that can sometimes 
sometimes be growing in there. That's wildlife habitat. So you start building all of those values together. There's the intrinsic value. There's the wildlife habitat. There's the water filtration. There's the habitat for plants, for animals. Then there's the experience of nature. Yeah. There's a variety of, of, of reasons why that wetland needs to stay on the landscape. In Ontario, significant wetlands, provincially significant wetlands, have been identified as a major component of the natural heritage system. And that provincially significant wetlands should be maintained on and have no development within them. So like, in the, ones in, like the ones around Kingston? Uh, some of the ones in Kingston, there's actually a, a very important line that comes through Ontario where there is significant wetlands that, that there is no development to be permitted in. And then there are there is another region in Ontario, a little north of that line, where development may be permitted after an environmental impact study has been done. So we don't have a uniform approach to protecting wetlands at the moment across the province. So it's important that when development is being proposed within or adjacent to a wetland, that yes, the provincial policy statement is looked at, that line has to be identified on the ground to determine the policy level of protection, and then definitely an impact statement if any development was even to be permitted within or adjacent to that. But actually, Ontario is not not too bad in terms of being a leader, the province of Ontario, right. in, in in understanding and the importance of maintaining natural areas on the on the landscape. What we're trying to do is is highlight that importance and sort of build on that and be able to increase the acceptance of that across the province and beyond, right. and in fact maybe lead to even greater protections that that Ontario already has in in order that these these features can be maintained. There is concern sometimes with regard to wetlands in agriculture cultural areas or where there are conflicting land uses. Mm-hmm. So again, it's always that matter of thinking of what is being provided by that area, what is being proposed and 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 looking at how best to move forward in light of a variety of things, the provincial policy statement, the municipal goals, the the owner, the landowner's approach, there's a variety of things that need to be looked at before we decide to to remove any of these features or or alter them in any way. We all know that this is important and clearly with what you're doing in Halton is going to have a significant impact, I imagine, particularly if you can get the people of Holton on board to understand what's going on. Because I think if the people realise this can benefit all of us, we've got a better chance of the politicians listening. But what about what about regions such as Greater Toronto and Hamilton, which are so, as you mentioned, over well, not necessarily overpopulated, but there's a lot of population there. There's not a lot of natural land there that hasn't got a piece of concrete put on top of it, which, of course, causes its own issues with water runoff and things like that. So how how do you think as a planner and and with your research, how can we use what you're doing to help those sorts of metropolitan areas where it's going to be a lot harder to worry, to figure out these ecosystems to help sustain it? Yes, it's interesting that you mention around the the greater Toronto and Hamilton area where we have the region of Durham and Peel and Halton and Hamilton and, you know, all around Mm -hmm. the Lake Ontario shoreline. And you're quite right. There are some areas that are developed and we have lost a lot of wetlands already prior to this and so some of the wetlands and the woodlands that remain are considered significant just on the fact that there are so few left and so few remaining in some Mm -hmm. cases you're quite right there has been a lot of development in some regions that has wiped out many of the natural areas and so that's why with the amount of of, with the natural areas that we have left it's important that, that this that the importance of them be identified up front before any of these land use decisions have been made to to wipe them out. It's important that we keep them 
in perpetuity, in fact. But there are various approaches, you know, to what is significant in Durham or what is significant in Halton or in Hamilton, given the landscape matrix. Something that may be significant in Halton, that there may be a difference in in Durham, given the configuration of of the development that is out there. Right. So it's always important that we develop what we're looking at is sort of a tool that could be used across all of those regions. Right. So with the variety of, of the landscape matrix, some places are much more developed and some do have more natural areas. An important thing too that comes from the province is the growth plan and some of the provincial targets for directing growth. And some places really want to keep uh, sort of a handle on existing growth and not have that sort of urban spread. They want to intensify. They want to have a, a walkable city. They want to have public transportation. And they're trying to move towards that area already in terms of, of sustainable development. Right. So we're trying to, I'm wanting to have this tool kind of be a, something that the municipalities can use as they move forward and sort of following some of those provincial directions, but be able to put their own twist on it in terms of what's important and what's significant within the area. That, that they have. See, I think that's interesting what you mentioned there because there is the provincial side and then there's the municipality and they may be in conflict. And I, I noticed in your little overview, there's a five-year plan from the Ontario government. What was that called? Uh, oh, five-year plan to address climate change. Now, that was obviously put in place with a different government. What happens when governments in the, the province change? They have a totally different aspects of what they think climate change is or whether it's even important or not how will that going to affect this tool that you're trying to do that really should be a, muni- a municipal solution i think i mean because they're the ones that are living there because i mean even in kingston there's there's parts of kingston that the mun- municipality doesn't really own it's it's owned by the pr- the province so how do we protect things that maybe aren't owned by the local people how do we stop the province from infiltrating what we're trying to design it's yes, a bit of a loaded question that sorry <laughs> You know, one of my questions in the survey was about natural heritage systems crossing over private and public property. And in a lot of the regions, the natural heritage system does just that. There are large swathes of private property that are also part of the NHS because like the birds and the water and the trees, they aren't aware of the ownership if it's owned by the public sector or by the private sector. And so we have like various natural features that do go across both public and private property. And so the level of protection um, that's afforded to that feature goes across whether it is privately held or publicly held. But what we try to do is get private citizens in on board by having stewardship programs or land right. tax incentive programs, other ways of ensuring that those landowners, private landowners, are also on side with the protection of these natural features. And that's a very important point because it's impossible for the municipality and they wouldn't want to necessarily buy all of the natural features that mm-hmm. uh, are on the landscape. So citizens have to be quite involved in in maintaining that natural heritage system, be it through participating in citizen science or being a good land steward or being the, the property owner who you know does various things on their property to help with the, maintain the long-term health of those natural areas. 
areas. The other thing, too, that you mentioned earlier was that change in government. There are things like the Greenbelt Plan, which were put in place by previous governments and then governments change. Some of those things are so important. The Oak Ridges Moraine Plan, the Niagara Escarpment, they've lasted. The Niagara Escarpment right. Plan has actually been in place since the 70s. And, and the importance of these natural areas has been recognized, you know, even through changes of, of provincial government. Right. But it's very important that there was some talk about cutting into the green belt recently. I don't know uh, if you recall no. hearing that they had talked about maybe moving the green belt or you know cutting into the green oh, belt. Yeah, but that's, and that's just so easy, right? <laughs> yeah, that is like something that has to be. Let's just pick it up and drop it somewhere else. Yeah, that exactly. You know, the green belt was based on good science and yeah. the identification of natural features, and there's a natural heritage system within the green belt, and there's a variety of, of land uses that are that can happen in the green belt, and and it's very clearly laid out that there are key features and 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 what needs to be protected and what has to happen. And so, yes, you're quite right. There is a, a complexity in Ontario that exists with municipal approaches, regional approaches, provincial approaches, and it's important that you know we be able to you know get our way through all of those regulatory frameworks in order to to work together right. in order to try to achieve this. So this tool that I'm using, I'm hoping to make changes at, at the at the municipal level, the regional level, and the provincial level. Oh, that's good. In order to that, uh, uh, I would even like to to talk about the heritage system across the the country. Although yeah. the the geography of the country is so different, the way it changes across the provinces. But in reality, they really are connected. The, the the whole of the natural heritage system across, really across the whole the whole planet. But that but, begs the question then: if you know Canada is saying by I can't remember was on twenty thirty or something, we're going to be within the climate change regulations of the world. So then, surely this should be part of a, a Canada wide proposal. Yeah, that. Or maybe I'm being too optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> I have to. <laughs> to get the thesis defended at the, the <laughs> and then you go and pick it I know <laughs> but I do have you know big hopes big dreams mm -hmm. make some institutional changes like to institutional mechanisms like the Ontario Planning Act and the Environmental Assessment Act and uh, some of the things that happen at least in 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 the municipal sphere that right. is the at official plan levels and, and at the region and then again at the province. And it would be wonderful to be able to even to to look at something, you know, on a national basis and, mm -hmm. and maybe join in with some of other, the initiatives that other provinces and other people are doing. That would be actually some great work to do as a postdoc. <laughs> well, there you go. But what, <laughs> yeah, what about, would you look at some of the other things that are happening? Because there has been a lot of thought and a lot of, of people interested in the natural environment and in our natural features and in climate change and in dealing with the growth pressures and mm -hmm. uh, population has been expanding, you know, so quickly and yeah. um, that whole idea of sustainable development and how to move forward that we can we can have development that's good and that we find, you know, appropriate places to live, you know, work and play and have recreational opportunities and everything together with the natural environment. So it is, it's quite a balance. And even though Canada is such a large country and a lot of our population is found along, you the know, 
all the, the a lot of the southern mm-hmm. our southern border is a lot of the uh, main part of the of where there is a lot of population pressure you know on we have to to be looking at a national strategy even a global strategy mm-hmm. things like the united nations even there's been work at, at the united nations level with re, in response to climate change and and work at the with the united nations on ecosystem services in fact that is one of the underpinnings of my work is the some of the work that has come out of the united nations in terms right. of the um ecosystem assessments that have been done worldwide to take a look at some of these ecosystems and what has been happening. And in fact, they have found that there there is some really good success stories of bringing eco- ecosystems back to health, but there has been some, some stories of ecosystems being degraded and that that's some of the areas that we need to focus on. So well, there's still lots of work to be done. When developers have to do a, an environmental impact study, sometimes those things can go on for so long and then either the the municipal council or the developer either gives up or they just rush something through without it being done. Will your tool help both sides be able to do an environmental impact study uh, more more quickly, more efficiently, if we can also before then determine what are these natural sites that we need to protect? That would be my solution. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a couple of things going on there. One is there are some things that in various approaches to natural heritage system planning. Sometimes there are some uses that can be permitted in the natural heritage system or uses adjacent to the natural heritage system, things that may have been agreed to in the past and moving forward. So you do have that idea that uh, development within or adjacent to the natural heritage system may require an environmental impact assessment. There are some times when it's not permitted at all, depends what the use is that that they're proposing to, to go forward with. The other thing that we're doing down in the Ready Lab here at Queen's is looking at environmental impact assessment and in fact combining that with one of the specialties that uh, Dr. Maybe does which is life cycle assessment. So we're looking at the integration of life cycle assessment and environmental impact assessment together. Right. And and looking at life cycle assessment looks at at the the upstream and the downstream impacts yep. of this project on a more on a more sort of wholesome uh, fulsome basis than traditional environmental impact assessment which is quite exciting to me so we're put, starting to put together some ideas about joining those two processes right. and in fact increasing social license through the integration of life cycle assessment and environmental impact assessment for actually moving the bioeconomy forward and so for other uh, approaches, in right. fact, to achieving a low carbon economy. So there are various uses to, to some of these things that, that we're working on down in the lab. And and so, yes, I think it's very important that when we're looking at environmental impact assessment, as you know, it includes not just the biophysical environment, but the social environment and yeah. economic environment. And is there jobs to be created? Is there any opportunities for rehabilitation or enhancement or restoration as part of a development? So it's actually becoming, again, more complex in terms of, of assessing the environment before and after and during the project and what that project is. And and so there's you know also thoughts of, of renewable energy and, and other uses that need to be looked at when, when, when we are looking 
looking at things like the natural heritage system, what should and, and should not be happening in an area like that. Because as we said at the beginning, they are providing a variety of sources, but sometimes there's things like recreational trails that may be a yes. use that, that could go through a wooded area. And there are trails on the Niagara Escarpment, for example, the Bruce Trail that right. goes right through. And then you get to see things like, you know, some of the, the special plants that are that are grown. But that's, on, the, that's yeah. the beauty of keeping it. There's no, I mean, yeah. one, one peop, some people would say, well, why have it if we can't enjoy it? And yeah. part of enjoying it is being in there with it, leaving a smaller footprint as possible as we're going through it, but we should still be allowed to see it. And uh, there's clearly ways that we can do both. Exactly. And then you stay on the path. Correct. On the rec- actually, by putting that trail there, they, yeah. if you have people staying on the path, that's better than them, you know, perhaps traipsing through. And making their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that <laughs> way you can you have that recreational value. Again, that's a, a service that that natural area is providing and, and that you're able to experience nature and walk along the trail and, and see that the geological formation that is the Niagara Escarpment and you get great views and you see ancient cedars that are only there on the Niagara Escarpment. So right. yeah, there, it's, um, as I say, something that has to be looked at in terms of what use you would put in a natural area, if mm. anything. And sometimes those sorts of recreational uses can be beneficial. And and in fact, that Niagara Escarpment is a world biosphere reserve It's as a protected area. It's so valuable and so beautiful. And you can right. see the Niagara Escarpment from, from space, from the satellite, they said, that you could see oh, you know, how, how beautiful that is. And so that is a, a feature that has has been able to be maintained on the landscape. There has been, you know, quarry applications. There is a certain stone in there that that it can be used for aggregate. That that people have wanted to have a quarry out of the Niagara Escarpment, and again, that had to be looked at in a lot of detail. And there has been some operations on the Niagara Escarpment, but then there has been some that have been stopped as well. Right. So hopefully, the work that you're doing in the, in the minis- oh, I can never say that word municipality of Halton will help this because that's just one step and um, I imagine Halton is really really happy having you doing this project seems like specifically for them but of course hopefully (laughs) it will help a lot of other cities as well around the country or at least around the province. Yes exactly we're trying to to develop this tool that we could use in in Halton and and beyond and and be able to to help other municipalities uh, see the value of the NHS Mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons look at all those different services look at the dollar values that could be assigned to them as well as various like intrinsic reasons and, and values that come that you can't put a dollar sign on right so that we could bring everyone to the table and understand what these what the importance is of these natural areas and hopefully they would be maintained in perpetuity we can't get them well, back exactly we always say you know what's going to be left for the children mm-hmm. and there's some as you mentioned there's some great places around that we, we should be protecting and also hopefully by those protections that will also help the climate issue that's going on and even though it's it's probably hard to stop what's going on but there's even small bits I'm sure will help small bits will help so Carolyn fascinating what you're doing and I'm sure everyone's going to love listening to this whether you're an environmentalist or just someone in in a community who wants to keep green space around for us all to enjoy for whatever reason and not just the green space there's resources with that and things as well like you said it can help for a number of different reasons keeping those spaces so good luck with all of that and I'm sure everyone's going to be really really excited to see what you come up with this tool that that hopefully others will want to use yes thank you very much it was a pleasure being here this afternoon excellent thank you very much carolyn well everyone that's it another week of grad chat comes to an end
end. Thank you very much for listening in. And don't forget, you can download the full um, podcast of this because it's actually a bit longer than our normal show. You can do the full podcast on either iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Podcast or Stitcher. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by Queen's University's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.